we're picking up uh, the Lord's uh, Prayer again. So um, if you want to open it, it would be really helpful to open it in the Bible, page uh, 970 in these. It's Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're just working our way slowly through the Lord's Prayer. We'll read it again. And, uh, and this week, we're on the phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thinking about God's will together. Matthew 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus teaching his friends and followers, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. And when it comes to the, the will of God, seeking uh, 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 the will of God and, and wanting to do the will of God, I think we tend to think most often in terms of guidance. So um, to use kind of a, a, a driving analogy, we, we imagine God should be a bit like a sat-nav, something which knows where we are uh, and knows where we're heading and gives us step-by-step instructions along the way when we get there. Take the next right and then you know, go straight over the next island and then the next left. Or more personally, you might think, uh, we, we might think of it being like Jesus is sat next to me in the passenger seat of the car of my life, giving me direction along the way. We want a voice from the sky to tell us whether we should take that new job or not, whether we should uh, stay here or move to that house there, or, or whether or not we should buy that product, or any, one of, uh, any, any number of life decisions we might make. And what we think, therefore, is the problem with God's will is that it isn't clear enough. We don't often hear God speak like a little, you know, like that little sat-nav voice telling us the directions. If only God made these things clearer to us, we would do them and life would be much easier, we think. Have you ever recognised that, uh, that kind of feeling when you're navigating some life decisions? I want to suggest that's the wrong place for us to start when we think about uh, God's will and how we live that out. I think the, the, the other picture I'd give you uh, as we come to, to God's will and God's will being done, it's more like we get out of the driver's seat of the car of our life and we give the keys to Jesus. And we let him in the driver's side and we sit in the passenger seat. Letting him decide how and where to drive our life. Now, it's, it's really, I know it's a super cheesy illustration. That's not lost on me. But, but I think it, it gives us something to visualize to get the point. It's more a matter for us when it comes to God's will of surrender and trust, I think, than guidance. Whose will do we really want done? You see, in most things, I think God has made his will clear. He's made at least what we need to know clear. And it's actually a question of whether we will yield to that and submit ourselves to it. And so our struggle with God's will is less often God making stuff clearer and more an inner battle within us between our own will and the will of God. So when we think about prayer and, and God's will, as, as Jesus leads us to do in the middle of this prayer, we can often think it's a chance for us to get God on our program and on our agenda, rather than exercising faith in God. 
and us getting on his program. Now, there's something that's really important, I think, in, in the Lord's Prayer generally, is, is we're kind of at this point in the middle of it, uh, which becomes really clear to us at this point. We're, we're four weeks in. This is the fourth sermon, halfway through the prayer, uh, of these six things Jesus teaches us to ask of God, and we haven't yet got to our needs or our situation or, or, or our wants or our desires, have we? Think about it. It, it, it kind of seems crazy when you think about it like that. It's, it's, it's seemingly so obvious, and yet it's... It's easy to miss and ignore, and, uh, and, and certainly in the way that we navigate our prayer lives. I don't know if you think about this week and the times uh, you've prayed, if, if indeed you, you, you've prayed. What's led you to prayer? What, what's, what's gone on around you that's caused you to pray? And, and where do your prayers start? What's been the main focus of them? If you're like me, it's more often than not a particular issue or a situation I'm facing or something that's, that's difficult or, or beyond my control. And, and, and my prayers are about wanting God's help and wanting God to, to work in, in, in this situation I'm in. Now listen, that's, that's a good thing to do. We're to bring our requests and our prayers before God. The second half of the Lord's Prayer for next week is kind of very located in our situation and our, our circumstance. That's absolutely right. But if that's the main reason or the sole reason we pray... If that's the only thing that fills up and, and takes all of our, our airtime in prayer, if you like, if, if, if we only find ourselves praying when we're in situations where we need something or we want something or we're not sure what to do and we're, we're wanting to bring God into that, if that's where our prayers start and where they end and all that it is in the middle of them, then who's setting the agenda? Where's, where's our primary focus? What are we really concerned about? Who really is God there? whose will is being sought. If that's all our prayer life is, then something is misfiring. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray. He, he teaches us like this. The, the, the flow of it is that we're invited to pray by our Father God in heaven, our Father in heaven. And our first concern is for the holiness of, of God's name in all things, which looks like his kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. And when that's put into practice, that is his will being done on earth as in heaven. See, the really clear thing about prayer according to Jesus is that God sets the agenda. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't, it's not me coming to God with my thoughts and my requests. It's not me telling God, this is where stuff needs to happen. This is what you need to do. You need to be working in this situation. It's not me trying to get God with and blessing my program. No, it starts with God. It starts with who he is what he's doing, and his will for the situations around us. It's about us getting on God's program, his plans, his purposes for people and situations in the world at last. So prayer is less about us setting the agenda and more about God setting the agenda. It's not so much that prayer does something for you, but prayer does something to you as you surrender your will and line up with God's. So if that's right, we need to ask really two questions. What is the will of God, and how is his will done on earth as in heaven? And the word will is a bit of a funny one to, to, to think about, but basically it's a word to describe how we, how we decide on and initiate action. So it's, what, it's really what a person wants in, in a situation. So, you know, we call a legal document um, a will for when, when someone dies. And, and what that document does is it gives instructions about what that person wants to happen to their possessions and, and, and their money after they die. 
So, so a will, the, the will of someone is more than just what they think, but it's, it's about something to be acted on and asserted and put into practice. It's their intention and their desire. Now, with us, as, as people, we're not always able to fully know what we want in, in any situation or what we think about a situation. We have these conflicts and this imperfect knowledge, and so some, sometimes we, we don't really know what our will is. And, and we're certainly not always able to act out on it when we do know what our will is, because, again, we're not all-powerful and in control of all things. So we can't make sure that our will comes to pass. But with God... The, the three-in-one Holy Trinity God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he doesn't experience these competing interests or these tensions or this not being sure or not knowing about things, these conflicting thoughts. He is both able to completely know his mind in any and every situation. He has what we call one simple will. It, it, it's not lots of conflict and tension within God. And he's also able to fully ensure that he can act out on it and, and see it come to pass. So the psalmist says, God does whatever pleases him. So, so, so God has this, this one will in, in, in all things, in all situations. But when the Bible goes to talk about God's will, it reveals two different aspects to it, to us. And it's helpful for us to see these to, um, uh, and to, to be aware of these. So that when we hear Jesus uh, teaching us uh, in prayer about God's will, we, we, we know uh, what he means and how this lands in our lives. And here, here's a key verse for, for this. It's uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is at the end of, 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 um, of a recounting of God's law for his old covenant people and how they're to live under the old covenant. And at the end of that, it comes and says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our gods, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So God has revealed his will to us, what he thinks, what he wants, his intentions, and, and how he plans to act, but he's not revealed everything there is to know. There are limits to our knowing. In God's will, in his one will, there are secrets, secret things that belong to him alone, belong to his nature and his character, and there are revealed things which you could say belong to us, to his people, that we may know and follow him. God's one will. There's a secret will within it and a revealed will. God's secret will is, if you like, his, his master plan for the world. His, it's kind of what is the future for us. It's God's sovereign purposes, which he planned from all eternity. They're hidden in his being and known to him alone. Whatever his will here, here is and his secret will does come to pass in the world. These are God's decrees, his free, independent and sovereign ordaining of all things for his glory and fame. This is so high and above us and before us. So, for example... Revelation tells us it is by God's will that all things have been created and have their being. We read in Ephesians that it's in accordance with God's will and his pleasure that in love he chose us, his people, uh, in Christ before the creation of the world and he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters of God to the praise of his glorious grace. You see, that this secret kind of unknown to us will of God is not the, the brute will of a remote and distant God, but this is the delight and the pleasure of an engrossed and engaged creator and a redeemer pouring his soul and pouring his life into the world and the people he made in his image as his good purposes and his sovereign will are worked out in the world. 
And so when, when Paul is thinking about these kind of unknown uh, intentions and, and, and the will of God that is unknown to us, he breaks out in praise in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who, who has been his counsellor? In one sense, we say no one knows the mind of the Lord. No one has been his counsellor. No one advises him on his policy. As far as the secret will of God goes, it's way above our pay grade. In a moment, we're going to turn to this and see how it's both humbling, but also greatly reassuring for us and faith building. But before we do that, let's just think of this second aspect, the revealed will of God. One will uh, encountered as a secret will and a revealed will. And, and, And this revealed will is the way that he wants his people to live in the present. So rather than this being God's decrees, this is his precepts. It's God's will for your life. It's what God wants for you. How how he wants you to live as a creature made in his image. What he asks of you. And this revealed will of God is, is made known to us in his words. It's God showing us what is wise and what is right for us in light of his infinite goodness. Deuteronomy says that, doesn't it? It says, the revealed things are for the people of God so they may know how to live. They may know his plans and his purposes for our flourishing and our life. And so where God has revealed his will, where he has shown us what he wants and his intentions and his desires, is to be our greatest desire ourselves, our greatest joy and our greatest concern and delight to know and to do that will of God's. We're going to come back to that in a moment. We're going to see that that's a real challenge for us. Because it is possible for us to resist this revealed will of God's. Now, when Jesus teaches us to say, uh, to pray, your will be done to God, I think he's asking us to pray that God's will will be done in both of these aspects, both of these respects. Okay, I know that God's God's, God's decrees hidden in his secret will will come to pass anyway. That's going to happen come what may. And yet it's our joy and our delight to say with God, yeah, do that. Be true to your character. Be true to your plans and your intentions and purposes for us to agree in prayer with God to add our voice to that chorus from across the world and through history and the host of heaven crying out for God's salvation, crying out for God's glory in all things, crying out for God's kingdom to become, for his name to be honoured. Sure, in one sense, those things belong in in God alone and in his secret will, and yet we get to come in and join with God and say, yes, do that, Lord. This is how we cry for his kingdom to come. It's it's, it's a way that we we cry for it to come in earth by seeing his will done in all things. But also, it is certainly a prayer that the revealed will of God, that his plans and purposes for me and for my life, would be done. It's certainly a prayer that people would get to grips with what God has for us and the life he wants to live, uh, us to live and, and to live out that reality that his will would be, would be done in that way as well. Now, like we've already seen in, in this prayer, for us to pray these things and really mean it, it's going to have to go to work in our hearts and in our lives. It's going to take some, some traction in real life. And that's why we come, secondly, to thinking about God's will being done. What does it look like? What does it look like? If that is God's will, what does it look like for that to be done in our lives? Well, in relation to 
God's will that is hidden. I want to suggest the fact that there is such a thing as a secret will of God, that there are things hidden from us known to God alone. Therefore, maybe we should expect that we wouldn't know everything or understand everything or or get everything that's going on. Not, Not everything in and about our lives will be clear to us. Not every decision we have to make will be met with clear and obvious guidance and, you know, take this next right. God's sovereign rule is such that we can be confident God does have a plan for our lives. And we can say that all things will come to pass as part of his will, but we shouldn't expect to know everything about that in the here and now. It won't always be made clear. At times, God may give us a particular insight or some particular guidance and direction. I certainly wouldn't count that out. But generally, these things will be hidden to us until we see them play out in history and in our lives. And so this means that our role is less to kind of wait until we get that direct and clear guidance and kind of knowledge or whatever it is, and that certainty with God's particular plans, and more to trust God. Seek to be wise as we navigate decisions we make in life and everything else we do uh, that come with it. Now, we're not to worry as we do this. Listen, it, in God's goodness, you can't take wrong turns that take you off the map of his will and, and, and end up miles away over there. You can't ruin his plans. God is, is in control of these things. He's sovereign over all things. And so he will see that his good purposes come to pass. It's really helpfully explained, explained this week um, to me by, by, by Johnny Ivey, where he says, we can see the will of God more clearly in the rearview mirror than out the windscreen. Because as we look back, we see that What has happened is God's will, and that's come to pass, and that's his goodness. And sometimes when we look forward, it's less clear. It's looking back that we see God's will uh, revealed in our life, and maybe we can start to trace some of it. Now, I I know this is hard, because we all want to be in control, don't we? We all want to be in control of our future. We all want to know where we're going and and what we're doing. We love kind of playing the mystic Meg, and and sometimes we play games and try and piece together what God's will might be in this situation or that situation through what's happening. But I think this helps us become both more humble and more confident and peaceful, actually. It it gives us a humility as we navigate the decisions we do make in life. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing a few times in the Bible, he says about something he wants to do. Often it's like um, a few times in a letter to Rome. He says, I want to come to Rome to see you. I want to visit you. That's my plan. That's what I'd like. That's my will and my desire. And he says, "If, if it's God's will, it will happen. So he knows what he wants. But he also, he's humble. He knows that that it's not all under his control. It's not about him making everything happen. And so if it's not God's will, he won't force it. And he he humbly rests in what God's plans and purposes are. Yes, we make plans and decisions, but we hold them lightly, recognizing it's not all about our will in the end. But also, it's not just a humility. I think it leads to a conviction and a faith and a confidence in the will of God. So when, when Paul writes in, in, in the Ephesian letter that we've been chosen and we've been saved according to God's pleasure and, and, and his will before he even created the world, in that place and in that time, in that secret will of God, he chose and, and loved his people, then our assurance and our confidence is in that and not in me. It's in him choosing me and me not choosing him. And so if it never rested on me anyway, it was never my decision in one sense anyway, then I can't bring that down. I can't undo that. I can't ruin that. It's the will of God that is before and above us that brings a peace and a confidence. But the second one is this. It's God's will 
revealed. And what we do know clearly of the will of God for us, and what we see in this is that he has a greater concern how we navigate our life than what particular decisions we make, the how over the what. And so it's more about living with that trust in Jesus and letting him lead in all things than me giving him a, consult, a major consultant role even in my, in my big life decisions and my turning points. Uh, a pastor from the States um, called R.C. Sproul says, I cannot read God's mind, but I can read his word. That's where God's, God's will is, is revealed to us. So while there's much that is hidden in God and in his mind and his purposes, there is much that is shared with us in his word. And we can spend a whole lifetime getting to grips of that and working that out. And this is what a concern with the how over the what looks like. A few verses where we, talk, we, we hear about the will of God. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That means made holy. That means becoming more like God. So a question to ask when you're navigating life, is this going to help me grow in holiness? Is this going to help me become more like God? Or will it compromise that in some way? Is it going to lead me away from that? It's God's will that you should become more holy. And this will of God that we would become more like him is is something that that runs both through all of life and yet is so good for us. So um, picked up in Romans 12 as well, where Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. You see, this is a good, pleasing, and perfect thing. Yes, for God, but also for us. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect for you. And God's will is tested and improved by us in lives of worship that, that flow from hearts and minds that are transformed and renewed by his mercy and grace. You see, God's will is less about the what and more about the how. It's less about God reveal your plan and, and, and your, your intention for this particular decision. But it's more about me being conformed to you in all things. This is a prayer where I come to retune my will to the will of God's. Not getting my will done in heaven, but seeing his will done in my life. And commit myself to growing like Christ in all things. Now here's the challenge. All of us have, don't we? We have our own will. We have our own self-will. And, and it's, it's deeply embedded in our hearts and minds. And often it's hidden from us, but it's still this strong thing at the heart of our lives. And so that says to us, my will be done. Johnny, your will should be done. Carve the world in your image. Control people and situations to be about you and for you and how you want them to be. And so my struggle in many situations is less knowing probably what God's will is, but more discerning what my will is and then disowning it. And that's where it often lands in the Christian life and in our heart. Because this is all about surrender and trust. It's giving way to God's. And this is the heart attitude that Jesus would train us in, that he would teach us in, that he would have us grow in. Don't assert your own will, but surrender and submit yourselves to the will of God. You see, when you say, God, your will be done, of course, the inevitable is true, isn't it? It means that we're saying, not my will be done, but yours. So I I I think what we can do to grow in this is try to test 
our motives and the desires, desires of our hearts and decisions. Is this of God or is this of self? Talk with friends about that kind of thing. And use this prayer to put off our own self-will and seek God's will instead. Now there is this beautiful mystery in the will of God being done on earth as in heaven. This is what I want us to, to finish with for the last couple of minutes. We've seen it before in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is the one who, who lives this out, the realities of this prayer in, in their fullness. And you see, Jesus came from heaven sharing the one perfect good will of, of God with the Father and the Spirit. And yet when he became human and took on our human nature, he became like us in every way that it is possible for him to become like us. And so in that one person of Christ, he took on another will. He took on a human will that is just like ours. So so this is a mystery, but it's really important. One in the same time, Christ the man had a divine will which was perfect, which was one with the Father and the Spirit and perfectly in sync with them and he also had a human will, just like us, subject to human inclinations, human desires like we have. But unlike us, Jesus spent his whole life submitting himself to the divine will of God at every point and in every Situation. This is a significant part of what it means for him to be sinless and perfect. He, he submitted himself to God and, and he lived his whole life according to the will of God in every way. He, he submitted and, and yielded his human will to the divine will. He never let selfish interest control him or how he treated others or how he spoke in any situation. He, he always lived out what was holy and, and what was right. And of course it culminated in him being obedient to the will of God to death even death on a cross. And Jesus lets us into this in a moment of um, prayer, uh, this famous prayer of Christ as he stares down the cross the night before he's going to die on the cross and he prays to his Father God and he calls out, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my human will that would avoid death and this suffering at all costs. Your will, Father. Your will, God, be done. And so in that moment, under the most intense pressure, it is possible to imagine a human being could face, stepping into the darkest and the most horrific and horrifying moment, going to face the the wrath of God for sin, the most horrible experience we could conceive, Jesus, even there, submitted his will, his human will, to the divine will and was faithful to the end. And listen, the significance for you is this. This is, this is if, forget everything I said, if this is the one thing you need to realise and need to hear, this is the thing we need to see today. If the will of God is a matter of getting out of the driver's seat of your car and letting Jesus into that position, giving him the keys, if it's laying down your self-will in each situation you find yourself and surrendering, surrendering yourself to him and his, descent, his intentions and his desires and his plans for you, I think most people would hear that and say, are you crazy? You trust someone that much? Do you know what people do with power? Do you know what people do with authority? Do you know, what people, do you know how people treat other people when they think they can get away with it? 
You create, isn't that dangerous? Isn't that just so dangerous to give that kind of control, that kind of power to someone else over your life? Well, often, yes, it is, but it depends, doesn't it, who you're giving it to? This is the one who has loved you. The one who's loved you perfectly. This is the one who submitted himself to his Father's will and went to a cross to die for you. This is the one who did not spare his son, but freely gave him up for you. So how will he graciously, along with that, not give you all things? This is the one who teaches you to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's the one whose will you can trust, whose will you can rely on. You can know, yeah, it is good. It is pleasing. It is perfect. It is safe. I am safe there. He's quite all right at driving. I can give him the keys to my life. This is an invitation to surrender ourselves to Jesus and to entrust ourselves to him. Let's pray that we'll do it and then we're going to reflect through song and sharing the Lord's Supper together in a moment. Jesus, we, we sung together a prayerful song that you would shine into the night of our souls and our lives. Jesus, you who have a perfect will, always good, always right, always true. You who has walked our road, who has known our pain, who has known our suffering, who has known our desires and our inclinations and and all of these things, and yet remain perfect at every point, never overcome by your own human will or self-will in any way. We worship you for that and we want to trust you for it as well. We know that you are good and you are worthy. Lord, you know where we're maybe struggling and we want to hold on to things in our own hearts and lives. Maybe even where we don't realize it's hidden in, this, in, in, in the hidden places of our hearts and lives. Please, by your spirit, reveal those things to us. Shine your light on them so we can bring them to you and submit ourselves to your will once more. And it will be good for us It'll be pleasing for us. It'll be perfect for us. And it will glorify you. And so it is our prayer. Amen.